Right. How was London? Tell me how, how did it go? Oh, man, let me tell you about London. I did absolutely zero touristy things. Nice. Uh, mostly just sat about and read a book in a different entire city. <laughs> um, tried to dodge COVID, but probably didn't, but didn't get sick, but I'll forever associate London with COVID. Great. That feels really good, actually. Um, didn't see the Queen, didn't give her a tenner. Oh, mine. Um, mostly, I just like felt really disgusting because every time I opened the kettle, it was it was covered in rock and I couldn't <laughs> get away from that. It just melts my brain that, Wait, that there are places in the world up. where your kettles get covered in rock. What do you mean covered in rock? Like lime scale. Uh, go further. I don't know what, I still don't really know what you mean. <laughs> if you've, you've not experienced, this is my first ever Actual experience of lime scale. You know all those TV adverts where yeah. they're talking about lime scale, and you're like, "What? What is lime scale?" Uh-huh. It's because we live in Scotland and we don't get it. Our water is nice and not filled so with rocks. Pure. Whereas in England, it's filled with rocks, and it makes your kettles become a rock over time. So I opened the kettle on my first day, and there's literally like pebbles floating about in the bottom of it. Oh. I felt disgusting immediately. <laughs> what? This is news to me. I don't know kettles turn into rocks in London. That's terrible. Uh, yeah, it turns out that lime scale is a whole thing. Like, it wasn't just like a fiction made up on the TV. I'm sure we've talked about lime scale in the podcast before because I learned about what it actually was very recently in comparison to like when I thought I knew what it was. Right. I mean, I've certainly heard the adverts which are... And I've experienced it now. Yeah, right. The adverts which say like, bang, and the lime scale is gone. Yeah, or like, words to that effect. Is that like a weird word for mold? Well, yeah, I, <laughs> nope, I just... it's just rocks in your kettles. Genuinely, I thought lime scale was like the black stuff that goes around the outside of your bath or shower just over time. But that, I think, is just no, is mold. <laughs> that's just mold, yeah. I, that's the same thing I thought when I was younger. I thought right. it was just like this very specific bath bathroom mold. But no, it's like calcification or some fancy word. All the minerals that are in the water that aren't very uh-huh. very good for you, but probably not very harmful either. They build up over time. They get deposited like like stalagmites, but in a kettle. That's absolutely bizarre. I'm I'm, well, I'm, I'm assuming it happens in their washing machines, in their dishwashers. Oh, for sure. I feel bad for all the people who live with hard water now. I've experienced it. Did not like. I re- I regret it. But let me tell you, let me tell you, London. It was just like any other city, but definitely busier than 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 anywhere <laughs> I've been. And I wasn't even in like central London. Oh. And I just I, I it felt very busy. I mean, there's just people everywhere all the time. Yeah, constantly. I didn't like that aspect of Did it. Did you see anything that you thought? Oh well, I'm glad I've seen that now. No, no, I, I, I am not ruling out going back to London someday to do an actual touristy visit because it was for an event and the event itself was yeah, yeah. mostly something that I do for a job. So it wasn't particularly like fun, riveting for okay. me, but it was worth doing. I have discovered that maybe the only reason to do it is for a job and not for pleasure. That's important. It's important to learn those things. <laughs> Um, I met a few cool people. It was nice to meet them. Great. Um, but then everybody that I met got COVID, so I had to call my trip off early to avoid getting heavy exposed to COVID. So I probably got light exposure, probably did get infected, but I didn't have any symptoms. Great. Uh, So I'm not really, I'm not really sure. I think I probably got, I got away with it thanks to, thanks to them vaccines, because it definitely isn't my immune system that does that good (laughs) job. How about that? Science. 
in your arms. Where have you been? <laughs> I, well, I've been to uh, Nice on the French Riviera. What are, their, what are their kettles like in Nice? I did look. I just know that their uh, their breakfasts and their pastries are very are very good. Ooh, no, Nice yeah. is is interesting. It's the kind of place where you would go, and I'm sure myself and Graham will go again. Right. Uh, this was a, this was a work trip, but for the, for the first trip, day because yeah, we arrived yeah, yeah. at half past ten in the morning. Okay. We just went to the beach and laid about and had beers. It was great. Oh, very cool. But uh, yeah, it's definitely that sort of sunshine beach. Do absolutely nothing and be totally fine with it kind of holiday. Because you're 20 miles away from Monaco if you want to do like a wee day trip. But other than that, it's not really anything to to do or see in in Nice. They've got, of course, the standard, oh, look, there's a big hill and you get a nice viewpoint from the top. And (laughs) it's got a a nice beach. Everywhere where hills are. Right. And it's just like, okay, it's France. But it's very nice France. And it's far from the sniffy Parisians. It's the, uh, you know, very bougie. Right, cultured, right, Frenchies. Does it feel but, like? Does it feel like there's a lot of touristy people there, or like a lot of uh, expats and stuff, or is um, it? Is it just? Well, certainly where we were, no, it was more. I would say European holidaymakers rather than Brits. Interesting. Okay, but we might perhaps it was just in the bit that we were in, which was slightly outside the taking, taking notes. the city centre. But if you are ever looking for, yeah, just a sunshine long weekend, then Nice. Is I highly recommend it. Yeah, this stream brought to you by a, a region of France. <laughs> brought to you by EasyJet. Give me sponsorship. <laughs> I think they're oh, one of the no. only carriers who go out there. So, just saying, sponsorship on the horizon. Good luck. Just don't pack very much. Don't pack anything that's vital to your life. The, the return flight was less fun. I'll tell you that. Oh, yeah. And we have now experienced just yes, the the joys of traveling in 2022 because I hate traveling. You, you know the thing is, I really enjoyed the trip, but then I was reminded of how much I hate the fact that yeah, you finish a course at uh, at four o'clock, but then we got home and it was one in the morning. Right. Yeah. That's 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 pain. And I thought, look, if we did this course virtually, literally say bye bye, press leave, and then that's it. I'm home. <laughs> so I can. I feel like I feel I can like you got to book the extra day and leave in the morning. It's just better that way. Yeah, I I would argue for that the next time because yeah, you know when you're flying out there, you're okay with the delays because you know you're still on holiday, you're going somewhere abroad. So if it's an hour on the tarmac, fine because you're still going to get there. Yeah, yeah. But on the yeah. return journey, it's almost always a nighttime arrival. Yuck. So you you come back to Edinburgh and it's raining and it's eleven degrees and you just are sad <laughs> and it's made worse. If your flights have been delayed and you go to Heathrow and it's nine o'clock and everywhere stops serving food and you have to go to Pret and have a very sad macaroni. <laughs> so pros and cons, man. I, I did really enjoy it, but uh, yeah, I can I can more appreciate the benefits of doing things virtually, even if the training isn't as good. You know, you're there for seven hours and it's it's over. Right. Yeah. There's a big difference there. My uh, my travel was distressingly often during the trip. <laughs> okay. It was a complicated trip plan, right? I was going to go away and then go away, go from that away to a second away place, which was London. Then uh-huh. from London back to initial away place, then all the way back here. So that's four days of different traveling. And it was supposed to be over the course of a lot longer than the eight days that I was away. So half of the days that I was away, I spent half. at least some of it traveling and it was disgusting yeah however i did have zelda with me she's she she came touristing as well it was really cute all right how did that go she's pretty great at traveling more difficult it's pretty difficult you're allowed to bring cats on trains just guaranteed 
you're not allowed to bring cats on buses guaranteed, so I opt oh. for trains usually when I'm going places. Okay. Uh, so a bit more expensive, but I get to spend the time with a, with a Zelda, and she didn't meow too much or scream too much, except on the last day, because it was two travel days in a row instead of like oh, right. having a five-day gap between them for like cooling down and just getting un- unstressed. Uh, so she was very stressed on that last day and did not enjoy the traveling. I felt bad for her. So never again will I be traveling two days in a row with a cat. It wasn't worth it. It wasn't worth the stress she went through. Solid advice. I think the one thing I did, uh, the one low light of of Nice was I went downstairs for the hotel breakfast in the morning. Right. And I practiced saying my room number in French. Okay. And I went to the waitress and I said, uh, quatre, cinq, sept. Okay. And she said, oh, sorry, I don't speak French. No way. <laughs> Yeah. That's so weird. All that effort for you not to know what the numbers are in France? Well, Come on. That, yeah, that's the impressive part. How did <laughs> yeah, they get exactly. the job? <laughs> works works in a hotel yeah. in France where people tell you their room numbers and you tell them you don't speak French? Oh. I mean, I guess the that was disappointing. people who are going to be most often in the hotel are not going to be French. So it kind of makes right. sense. But you got to assume... You know the numbers. Well, that no, that's a that's such a that's such a big that's such a big leap for my brain, but it kind of <laughs> makes sense. I've never had to think about that before. Yeah. And one thing as well, I, I really enjoyed working with our, our clients over there. They've been clients for a long time, but it was one of those ones where I believe I, I'm starting to feel like the the people who, when I speak Gaelic to like my mum or my younger brother, right, whilst in the presence of people who don't have a word of it, okay, I I appreciate now that that can be quite distressing because suddenly we're having this chat in English uh, with our group, and then just for you know the 30, 40 seconds, they all just start speaking French to each other. Oh. Myself and Andrew just sitting there like, we have yeah. no idea what you guys are saying. You could be saying anything right now about <laughs> us, about the training, and then of course they just snap back to English. So yeah, yeah, I felt I felt othered, but that's from my very privileged othered, English but that gives l- you... speaking domination position. Exactly, but that gives you power. Oh, you it know, is. You now know the feeling, so you can wield it when you, when you're the one who wants to speak in a different language than English oh, around gosh. people. I got a, got a quick question about about desk worker. Did she say that in a French accent and she was just trying to cover for you because your French was so bad she didn't understand it? N- no, I got the impression that she was... Okay, just, just making sure. She was perhaps uh, sure. an English girl who had got the job on a gap year, oh. something like that, and just hadn't bothered her arse to learn the numbers in French. Number, Even though that's like systems. in a hotel. Or like, welcome to, a to- <laughs> welcome to the hotel. Seems like the most obvious thing. And here's the other thing I noticed I was doing as well. You can say, I'm going to say this really stupidly, bonjour. Yeah, bonjour. But when I was in France, I felt like I had to do an accent. So it became like, bonjour. Yeah, you have to do the accent, yeah. Right. But you can't really do the same with uh, merci. 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 I just sound silly. I, I sounded silly every time I said it. Merci. I think you're hitting the R too hard. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I, well, one thing to remember about French that is very different from English is that they talk very flat except the last syllable. Uh huh. And I'm not sure if the last syllable is supposed to go up or down. So that's the one to learn. I think it's up. Right. But maybe not that much. So maybe it's your, maybe not only is it your pronunciations, but maybe also just how flat you are before that last little syllable in a sentence. If only we'd had this chat before I went, then maybe I wouldn't have sounded like such a, a tourist. 
But hey ho. Next time, when you actually go for a holiday, you'll, yes. be, you'll, you'll go, you'll say things in, in Scottish French and they'll appreciate you because they're not Parisians. Absolutely. Okay, well, in our absence, James, all the news has happened. Oh my goodness. It turns out that the only thing that needed to happen to make the whole world change was me going away. I'm sorry, everyone. I should have gone away two years ago. <laughs> As you recall, uh, if you listened to the last episode, it was mere minutes after I'd finished editing the show that the Roe v. Wade ruling broke. And at, at that point, you know, we were we were away. I was gone. So it was done. I'm, I'm very sorry. It's taken us three weeks to catch up. But, you know, life happened. London happened and nearly getting COVID happened. So we are back. And this is Seats Operate, <laughs> Scotland's longest running podcast about everything these days. We are going to talk about space later on so yeah breaking which is everything boundaries yeah and your new favorite podcast episode 289 i'm colin and he is james <laughs> yep, yep, yep. eating uh food uh, as at the moment so I'm eating, I'm eating an increasingly cold green curry nice well if you want to finish that i can just talk for the next like minute no it's okay i'll just eat it whenever your computer crashes Okay, so thank you very much for listening. Really do appreciate it. If you want to get in touch, you can do seesawparade at gmail.com, as a couple of you have done. Wow. We've got some reviews to play later on, so thank you very much for that. Amazing. Once we get through all these different news stories, which of course you, dear listener, have been pining to hear our opinions on, you know... I am sure. Whilst all chaos was unfolding last Thursday with... People being appointed new jobs in government and then resigning a day later. <laughs> oh. I'm sure most people were thinking, you know what? I would love to hear Colin and James's take on this. They're just like shaking in their chair. Can't believe it's been so long. Where's the take? Yeah. Okay. Well, let's start there then. Let's start with okay. Boris, who finally wow. has resigned. Well, he says he's going to resign. Okay, so this is the news that last Thursday, and dear listener, it is now also a Thursday in July of 2022. <laughs> seven days ago, Boris Johnson resigned as Conservative leader and blamed the herd instinct of Tory MPs for pushing him out. Uh, after oh yeah 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 herd instinct yeah several cabinet ministers told him he'd lost support of the party so in a statement outside Downing Street Johnson acknowledged that no one is indispensable and accepted it was the will of the parliamentary conservative party that he should leave number ten so before we go into what's currently happening which is the 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 race the horse race to take over as a prime minister. Let's just rewind, because this happened after a certain Chris Pincher got into the headlines. Right, yeah. Now, if you'd asked me for a bingo card oh, no, yeah. of things that would bring down the British Prime Minister, this was absolutely not on it. Because you, no. thought, you thought maybe you know, maybe the 100,000 plus COVID deaths? Maybe it was Impossible to pick. Maybe it was Partygate would, would be that. Corruption. The, the corruption. The you lies. Know, giving all the money to all their friends. Maybe it would the be parties. Brexit. Maybe Rwanda and the deporting refugees. But no. Yeah, deporting people. Maybe the parties again. I don't know. What it came down to was allegations. Not the parties. No, none of that. 
allegations of, over Chris Pincher, who was the, I believe, the deputy chairman of the party, who resigned a or few days like before some that. Whip or something or whatever. He had some sort of title. That is correct. Yeah, he was he was given a job, and he he uh, announced that he was resigning uh-huh. because the previous night he had gone out and embarrassed himself in his own words. Hmm, and embarrassed himself, himself means yes. that he allegedly groped a couple of men in a club. Right, right. That's That then happened, and the questions then began to be raised about how much Boris Johnson knew about, for example, some historical allegations about Previous Mr. Pincher. Previous instances, yes. And sure enough, there have been allegations going back as far as 2010 yeah. involving Mr. Pincher, who has a very unfortunate surname. I mean, accurate is a different word. Yeah, yeah fair enough. <laughs> Indeed. And so it turned out that despite initially denying yeah. that he knew no anything idea, Boris. about these historical allegations. I just gave him a job on Boris. Eventually it became clear that actually Boris did know. He just forgot what he meant was that he that knew. He, I forgot, yeah. <laughs> I don't, it's not that you didn't know. It's like, I knew, but I forgot that I knew. I just c- tried to consult my mind. My mind came back empty. I'm Boris. Right. It, it's like me and Limescale. You know, maybe I, maybe I did know at some point, <laughs> but I, for- I forgot. Maybe, maybe you have drank rocks. Exactly. And Boris, who initially denied drinking rocks, then suddenly, a, a couple of days later, said, oh, wait, I do Vomited I do up remember. some rocks. I was like, oh, hang on a second. And that was enough for the party. <laughs> that was it, apparently. Yeah, we had resignations, first of all, from Rishi Sunak, the Chancellor, and Sajid Javid, uh, the Health Minister, who then said it was a, it was a prayer breakfast that was the instigation for him to quit. <laughs> yeah, for real. Oh, no, and then so we had the likes of Nadim Zahawi, who was appointed <laughs> by Boris to take over. You finally have a moral ground at all. Yes. <laughs> and you don't even go like, hey, I resigned because of morals. You're like, I resigned because of other people's morals. <laughs> uh, yeah, I resigned because someone at a prayer breakfast told me to remember my morals. And I thought, oh, of course, of course. how could I forget? Like, someone else, thanks. <laughs> Yeah, so then Nadim Sahawi was appointed as Chancellor, and a day later, he resigned. And, yeah, more and more people, I believe it was up to 50 MPs, yeah. then resigned, told Boris he needed to go, and for, oh, about 36 Gold hours, it looked fired, as if... fired, hilariously. Hilariously, <laughs> which is one of the few people who didn't resign, just got fired. <laughs> yeah, levelling up secretary, got fired, and we woke up on the Thursday morning thinking, how on earth is this country going to function without a levelling up secretary? Oh, yeah. What are we going to do? How are all of the conservative strongholds going to get rewarded anymore? Well, exactly. And so these all, th- all these things happened, and it did look for about 36 hours that Boris was still going to cling on. And then eventually, on Thursday afternoon, Thursday evening... He went outside Downing Street and in a six-minute speech where he included the phrase, them's the brakes, he announced that he would be stepping down in September and would be currently uh, playing the role of a caretaker prime minister. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Okay, James, so just on that point then, what the, the dominoes that tumbled down started... With the Prime Minister denying that he knew about allegations from 10 years ago of someone in the party. And that 
That is what caused this is the kicker. his eventual resignation. Explain that to me. Okay, right. Because to hold on, hold on. Because of everything we've gone through for the last two years, I, under, I know everything we've listed. Everything yeah. we've listed. I got and it. None of that was enough to topple his prime ministerial position, and this is what easy did it. I got this. How handling it easily? One step. One. He's already been through a vote of no confidence, and votes of no confidence in a prime minister from within the party are a signal of the end times. Even if you win. Yep. Uh, so historically, even even prime ministers who have won at the vote of no confidence have like resigned a year later or been pushed out a year later. They very rarely last long after that. So. Okay. Step one, they did it, and then the next thing that happened, it was enough. But two, this was the first thing on the record that Boris did that was really quite not very good that none of the other conservatives were, were going to get caught up in the scandal of unless they opted in to start lying for Boris as well, like like Rab kind of did and stuff like that. Okay. So because this was kind of a Boris problem and a very limited to the people around Boris problem, Sunak could be like, I'm resigning. Because if you resigned over Partygate, he did Partygate as well. You know, if, if anybody resigned over the corruption, they all did that too. The previous lies, they all jumped right into those lies. So this is the first major thing that Boris has done that people could resign for, that they wouldn't have had to just, like, sacrifice their own standing for it. And that's it. That's, it's just, that's the, the, not, not that they have a backbone, not that they have morals, but that they have sought an opportunity to get rid of the current boss and maybe have a chance of being the next boss. That's it. They're, they're, none of them are, are good people still. They just took advantage okay. of a situation. So this is bringing us up then to uh, today, uh, which is Thursday. And yes, dear listener, by the time you get around to this, things will have changed. Probably, probably Saturday, yeah. But we do know that September 5th is the date yeah. earmarked for uh, the new prime minister. Yeah. And what's going to happen... the Conservatives to pick another prime minister that isn't elected, yes. C- correct. So what's going to happen then is we've had uh, eight... Conservative hopefuls put themselves forward in these uh, round-by-round votes. It's almost like a really sad edition of Britain's Got Talent. And round-by-round, someone gets eliminated if they don't reach a 30-vote threshold. So we already had uh, Jeremy Hunt, who lost out and pledged his votes and his support to Rishi, who is currently leading the way. Yeah, hilarious. And behind him looks like Penny Mordaunt is the other name, which people are suggesting may be uh, the second place contender. We had Sanjay Javid, who was going to run for it, and then he decided at the last minute, actually, you know what? No. And also pledged support to Rishi. He he realised he didn't have any votes and then decided no. (laughs) So, <laughs> oh, nobody's supporting me. I'm not going to run, though. <laughs> Smart. That's tactics for you. He's uh, he's considering his his position for the next one. So this is where we're at now. We've got Liz Truss, Tom Tugendhat, who uh, today have been setting out their pitches to be the next uh, leader and therefore prime minister. Yeah. Rishi Sunak uh, defending his credentials, saying his wealth doesn't mean he can't understand people's financial struggles. But I would disagree and say, yeah, but the, no, you know all the things he said that prove he can't. <laughs> They do prove he can't. <laughs> I think I think he said something like, we have four different types of bread in our house. <laughs> At least you well, have bread. I think the thing that proves that he can't really understand finances is the fact that as, uh, as the chief of the money, we've just done a terrible job with the money the whole time he's been in charge. <laughs> we got rampant everything that is bad and none of the good things. So Sudak, 
clearly not very good with the money. Mm-hmm. So Penny Morden is currently the boogie's favourite. She was the former trade minister. I oh, don't right. really know anything about her at all. That'll, that'll be why, yeah, she's not being caught up in the scandals yet. Right, but but also the likes of Suella Braverman and Kemi Badenoch, who are both still in the contest. I don't really know much about them, um, but they are lagging behind even today. Well, Allies of Liz Truss have uh, urged both Braverman and Badenoch to pull out and unite the right of the party. That's gonna go. That's gonna work out well. Because what we need is the conservatives that are even more right of the <laughs> of the population. Yeah. Okay. Um, just just before sorry. Just before you go into that, Liz Truss. I mean, good for her. Yeah. Good for her. <laughs> trying her best to win. I mean, all of them. Good on them trying. Good on them like putting their names out there. Well done, your conservatives. I'm never going to respect you. Um, well, until the party completely fundamentally changes. And then maybe if you've completely fundamentally changed too, okay. I will then respect you. But as you are, zero respect, even for the ones that are running for PM. Um, they all deserve a whole bunch of scrutiny. Uh, Sunak is questionable across the board because he's been a complete failure. Uh, even though he's been propped up by the media since day one as has been painted as a superhero since day one. He has not done very good. Uh, and then you got the likes of, uh, oh, I forgot I forgot her name already, Morden, Mord- Penny Morden. Penny Morden. I can't, I, I, I combine Morden and Tugboat or whatever the other one is into one <laughs> Tom, fake word. Sorry, Tugboat. <laughs> yeah. Tom Tugendhat. Yeah, Tugboat. Tom, t- Tom uh, Tugboat. <laughs> Uh, who, by the way, as today... Their names their names are just not... I'm not a names person. Their names sorry, are fine. Sorry, has said I, today that he is untainted by two years of Johnson's government having yet to hold a ministerial post. Except he didn't, he didn't stand up to him. True. He didn't stand up to him. None of them did. Anybody who's been in the Conservative Party who hasn't been going around all the media saying Boris needs to go for the last two years is tainted. This is my whole point. They all they all suck. Okay, okay. <laughs> right? So we gotta question all their views. You gotta look at what they voted for under Boris. If they obeyed the whip to vote for disgusting things that are like brought more authoritarian power to the government or brought less accountability to the government or brought less welfare to people who need it. Things like that. We need to look at uh, their claims that they are against like uh, the the specific uh, conservative views on trans people, where some of them were saying they're they're against. I even though I think uh, more. Oh, I forget her name again. This is really Penny Morden. More more boat. Yeah, I, she she's claiming that she doesn't agree with the conservative uh, actions on trans people, even though it was within her department. It was her it was her job. And we got all of these people claiming to be untainted or claiming to disagree with the party or claiming to be more like the people, but they are responsible completely for everything that's happened in the last okay. however many years they've been in their job. I have a couple more questions, but just to lay out at this point, voting has now finished in the second round right. uh, to eliminate somebody. So Did Pretty Patel make it? One of the six candidates will be knocked out. And we will break that news here live on Seesaw Parade. So will we? Are they going to count that fast? Can the Conservatives <laughs> really count? Can Rishi count? We will find out. So yeah, this is uh, six candidates, which will be reduced to five, and we'll see. But James, here's my question: <sighs> This has been given almost like feverish coverage by everybody. Well, of course, yeah. Is that is that fair? We've had Nicola Sturgeon today call the whole process deeply undemocratic. Well, it is deeply undemocratic, uh, but it is exactly how it's going to work, right? They're not exactly going to give us a free election. Um, 
I, I think the coverage matters. I wish the coverage was a bit more... I've only got the word penetrating in my brain, but I hate that as a word. Yeah, but I wish the coverage was more penetrating. I wish that they actually examined the candidates instead of trying to paint them as nice people all the time. Because they're not nice people. They're, you don't look at their voting records and see nice people. You don't look at the things that they've supported and see nice people. But all the coverage is like, well, some of the conservative uh, hopefuls are a bit more left-leaning and some of them are a bit more right-leaning. And isn't that just so lovely? It's like, no, none of them are lovely. Stop it. Uh, and as for, <laughs> oh, I mean, it's too early to, to really pick. Can we pick a, a, a prime minister, the, the two of us? Who's it going to be? R- R- Rishi's is going to take it. You think? Okay. I'm gonna go with uh, Penny Morbid. Yeah, I think she's gonna. I think she's gonna win. Morbid. Yes. Yeah, Rishboat's got it. Okay. Uh, and as for, let's jump over the sunboats, <laughs> sunboat, Marboat, and tugboat. <laughs> the the uh, political aisle, and talk about Sir Keir Starmer, who this week, after much whataboutery, uh, yeah, from lots of people in politics, it turned out that actually no, he didn't break the law. He drank a- Beer though he's got to, he's got to resign. Okay, so this oh, is the man, news. If your brain is turning to mush, this is the Labour leader Sir Keir Starmer and uh, his deputy Angela Rayner, who were cleared by police over breaking lockdown rules. So it follows an inquiry into an event at the MP's office in April last year. And in a statement, the police said there was no case to answer wow. and cited Shocked. the exemption to lockdown rules for reasonably necessary work. Uh, Sir Keir had previously said that they would both resign. if they had been fined as a matter of principle and integrity. But of course, they were both cleared, so all is well and good. Yeah, and he still isn't an inspiring person, but well done on him. He didn't break the law as bad as the Conservatives did. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm still somewhat underwhelmed by them in general. Oh, yeah. Uh, Again, Labour, granted, they are ahead in the polls by quite a bit right now, but I feel like they've done nothing of their own merit to to get there. It's mind-blowing that with all the failures of the Conservatives that that, that Labour aren't like taking huge advantage of this and actually making an effort to be different. Uh, But the best we've got is that they didn't break the law and don't have to resign. Yes. Is there anything? Uh, And I think they're trying to, they're trying to call a vote of no confidence, but you know, it's, it's bland. Because from what I've heard from Labour, it has been, oh, no, we can't just let Boris sit in the chair for the next eight weeks because, you know, who knows what he's going to oh, do. Yeah, he's, he is. He's trying to hold on to power for that long. Yeah, he, Boris is seeing it as war games, a temporary setback. I wouldn't be surprised if Boris announces that he intends to run. Uh, whoever the last two are, <laughs> Boris is like, actually, there's three now. I am the prime minister. I get to decide. And gets puts his name back in there in the hat. <laughs> Do you think it's it's fair that... <laughs> I've changed the rules, friends. <laughs> Do you think it's fair that Boris is just no. hanging on like a bad smell? No, but that's not, what, that's not what... Like, democracy isn't fair, and government systems aren't fair. Um, this, th- th- there, I'm sure that we can, once we've got a decent government in charge, we can try and change some of the rules to make the leading parties more accountable, especially when they have a majority. Uh, and accountability would be great and systems and processes would be great and it would be wonderful if um, government had to be reformed and and uh, stuff like that every time there was a new PM instead of the leading party just getting to appoint someone new based off their own voters. Okay, okay. But it, it, this is all old systems where you used to vote for the party and it wasn't about the person. Uh, but then over the years, which has been happening for 
more than a century now, it is more about the figurehead than it is about the, the local and it's more about the figurehead than it is about the party. So uh, this the system should be changed to reflect that a wee bit because the figures do matter more in UK politics now than they may be used to. One well, final question before we... centuries ago. Right. One final question before we move on to Scotland's political scene. Oh, yeah. My goodness. There was one name who kept coming up and who was apparently the internal favourite within the Conservative Party, and that was Ben Wallace, who I believe most recently was the Defence Secretary. Defence sex always get touted. Right, but he was the kind of guy who barely ever did press, barely ever did any sort of engagement, and by the sounds of things, was the kind of leader who didn't want to lead. And so by the the old idiom goes, like, those are the best people for it. But he decided not to do it. So perhaps... Well, he's one who's similarly to Sajid, every, weighing up his options for next time. Well, yeah, all of the all of the the names who have put themselves forward to take over as PM are really stupid because they don't win this. Even if they become the prime minister, we're in a horrible crisis that is going to last more than enough time. Oh, yeah, yeah. to taint their existence and uh, maybe forever. Um, like if if we were at the tail end of a financial crisis and the tail end of a uh, several pandemics and the tail end of a collapsing economy and a tail end of of years and years of conservative work finally crumbling the whole nation, it might be a good time to take over, rebound, uh-huh. and be victorious and remembered forever as a good PM. Build back better. But I don't think we've reached that point where it's time to rebound or where we will rebound soon. And, you know, maybe I'm wrong and maybe they will rebound and well done to them. But I think all the names who have not put themselves forward are thinking, I can't I can't win this. We don't rebound from here. The next PM is going to take us to a losing general election and be remembered forever as a failure. I'll wait until a better time. Okay, let's move north off the border and talk about Scotland. And this is the news that the First Minister has proposed the 19th of October 2023 as the date yeah. for a second referendum on independence. So Nicola Sturgeon said the question would be the same as the last referendum in 2014, which was, should Scotland be an independent country. Hmm. Sturgeon has written okay. to uh, former Prime Minister Boris Johnson. Well, yeah, yeah. still caretaker Prime Minister Boris Turnbull, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. saying yeah. that she remains ready to negotiate the formal consent for this vote to be held. However, it is now in the courts. Yeah. I believe it was the top law officer of Scotland, uh, the Lord Advocate, who essentially was unsure. Uh, who was unsure if the Scottish government had the legal ability uh, or the power to call it themselves. And so the Scottish government then, led by the Lord Advocate, have asked the Supreme Court in the UK to examine whether a referendum can be staged without formal consent. And the UK UK government has basically told them to throw it out. So we will see how that goes. It was Dorothy Bain, yes, the Scottish government's top law officer. So 19th of October next year, James, is it going to happen? The referendum? Uh, there will be some form of referendum, I bet. Um, Even an illegal one? How do you make a referendum illegal, right? Well, no, sorry, sorry. Surely you're allowed to poll your population. Illegal is the wrong word. Yeah, so it's just like not, not binding. legally binding. Yeah. yeah, that's it. So I think that's my bet, is that Scotland probably won't be constitutionally allowed to uh, for some reason or other, or won't be legally allowed to for some reason or other. Um, which is a reason I don't agree with, because I think people should be able to vote for whatever they want, whenever they want. Um, Fair. 
but that they'll hold one anyway. So we'll either get one that is a little bit more official and a little bit more binding, even though referendums are never actually meaningful at all and can be completely ignored, or we'll have yep. one that is less binding and less official and maybe probably far less engaged with and maybe only engaged by people who really care and therefore not really reflective. Um, but I was very surprised that she actually committed to it because... Uh, I mean, maybe it's because everything still sucks that she is committing to it, but everything still sucks, but it sucks just as bad in Scotland as it does in England now. Everything, everything in the world okay. is just terrible. So nobody's got any kind of yep. pride in the system or any kind of energy or drive to change it right now. We're all just kind of tired and fed up. So it feels like it's not the best time to be trying to build up support for independence or for, for a victory in the polls and stuff like that. But yeah, who knows? She's, they must have seen some reason to, to call it and give us just over a year to prepare because well, that's a short timeline. Yeah, so I, my thoughts are twofold. The first one is that your point exactly. It seems very short notice, and I know that it's fifteen months away, but still, yeah, you would have thought that at least you would have waited until twenty twenty four because at that point it's a decade. I think they've prepared all the paperwork this time before calling right. it at least, which is. But my thing. second point is, as we've talked about before, and it still remains my main issue. I don't think the SNP would win. No, I well, don't think they would win the vote. No, I don't think the Independence wins at this and point. If they lose slash when they lose, that's it done. You cannot bring a, a third time. referendum. Yeah, exactly. I mean, as you say, oh, yeah, people should be able to have a vote anytime. But if you've had the vote now twice over the space of almost a decade yeah. and both times you've lost, yeah. look, it's time It's time to, to put it to bed. So We're not going to have another fundamental change the likes of leaving the EU right. to make another vote actually justified for a, for a very long time. Yeah, and they said after 2014 it was once in a generation and then Brexit happened and now you've got, okay, some fundamental change to bring about a second referendum, even if it is... Yeah, less than 10 years later. If and when I expect they would lose that vote, because I don't think enough people have changed their mind and the polls would reflect that, they would genuinely have to wait a generation for uh, another vote. You're talking like 25, 30 years. Yeah. By the time we are probably close to retirement. Yeah. That is when they could justifiably hold another vote. And I just am unconvinced that, and I believe that she's called it because of the pressure from as we talked about before. Well, they promised to do it. Yeah, they did. Uh, and if you've done that, then you're you're you have to stick to your word. Yeah. Uh, and so it's uh, okay. I have to do this because there are fervent supporters of our cause who have been calling on me to call a referendum for years. And you're going to say that I'm going to back out or I'm a coward or this, that, the next thing. So partly, yeah. I believe it's appeasement to those supporters, so they now actually have something to yeah. to look forward to. You know, I really think that if people are serious about independence movements, uh, you got to stop calling for votes and start just making it your party thing. I guess like they used to, yeah. where you vote for us if you want independence. And if they get a mandate by the vote, that is that is a vote. That is more than a referendum. Uh, the, the parties that want Scottish independence need to put that as the chief thing. Uh, on their uh, manifestos and then if they lose some power in the meantime for that that's a good thing really because we get to reflect more on what it is like being in Scotland in the UK rather than being a Scotland who's voting for a party who say they want to vote for independence maybe someday Uh, so I think I think if they do call the referendum I think we have it and it's lost I would I would I would think that people with brains would change back to a system where 
it's just parties putting that as their chief thing on the manifesto. If we gain a majority, we will be calling for independence, not calling for a vote. And it will sacrifice some power in the short run, but it will give us a more reflective democracy in the long run. Do you suspect, I mean, again, this is just going into the realm of fantasy, that the, the, the Supreme Court will say that, yeah, Scotland, go ahead, you can have another vote. Because clearly it was allowed the first time, but they didn't go down the legal route. They just asked for a vote and Westminster granted them a section... 36 order, I yeah, believe, I and they said, yeah, temporarily, you have the power to hold a referendum. I just don't think, by the sounds of things, and by the sounds of the Tory candidates for Prime Minister, none of them are going to go down the same route again and yeah. say, sure, here's a here's a temporary order. Yeah, I feel like we, it won't be allowed, uh, which is mostly just pessimism about <laughs> how much rights there is in the UK for the different regions and stuff like that. Um, I don't think the system has been set up to allow those regional governments to have very much power, uh, never mind such a huge amount to like hold a nation-changing referendum without involving the rest of the population, you know. So I, I would get it, but I wouldn't like it. And it's it's also though this the still the fundamental questions from ten years ago have still not been answered, i.e., what currency are we using? And how are, how are Scotland how is Scotland making its money? Because in 2014 it was, oh, it's the North Sea oil and gas. Well, but yeah. now that the SNP are, are in with the Greens, that ain't going to cut it. Well, the green energy. Yeah, well, exactly. And that's not the answer anymore because that's what a lot of Scotland, Scotland supporters, SNP independent supporters, there we go, uh, were going for. It was, oh, no, no, we've got the oil. We can turn into Norway. Yeah, well, it was too late for that. Society's was... changed now and, and their power structures are different too. I never believed the oil argument. Likewise. Too too well. It would be it would be nice to reclaim it so that we make the money instead of you know random corporations that maybe could have been publicly owned and then pu- publicly beneficial, but instead are just like lining the pockets of like corrupt people. That would be nice. Uh, but I don't think it's nation building. But I don't think you can you can say that Scotland can't earn money as well. I think as a, the Conservatives and a lot of a lot of non a lot of union supporters are kind of implying that Scotland's a drain on resources and can never sustain itself. But we've got a we've got a GDP equal to other countries of similar size, just by any measure. Uh, we've got uh, a ton of unused land, un- untapped resources. We've got a ton of options for uh, expansion into green energy. We've actually got a ton of options for expansion into into water as an export that we don't use. Uh, there's, there's all these little things that are a fine argument. And you don't have to rely on oil. You can just look at other countries that are independent and are different levels of success and go, we're maybe somewhere in the middle of those different levels of success by default, never mind if we handle investments very well. Uh, so the arguments I don't I don't buy the the currency one I can see what people are are worried about it but again it's just currency is currency uh, it's not going to go disastrously wrong um, I, it would be nice to just know and I'm sure that this time around their white paper or whatever they're going to release will be much more detailed and actually have answers and if it doesn't it will be a little bit embarrassing but only thing that would make me not want to vote for independence for scotland is if there was fundamental change to the way the uk system works that is more democratic than the current first past the post system that just constantly gets conservatives into power because people vote for conservative and not enough of them do but just there's just a block of them and it's just 33 percent, and that's good enough
Okay, James, as we mentioned, uh, right, yeah. just mere minutes after at the end of episode 288, okay. the US Supreme Court overturned abortion rights, upended Roe v. Wade, and ruled that there is no constitutional right to abortion in the United States. So this uh, Roe v. Yes. Wade case from nearly 50 years ago means that abortion uh, and abortion rights are now decided at state level. So in the aftermath of that, nearly 26 states uh, across the country triggered new laws, new legislation on abortion to restrict it. In some cases, uh, like in Arkansas and Ohio, it meant that all abortion, including rape and incest, is illegal. Yeah. And that uh, was then met by met with lots of different reactions from lots of different people, summarized uh, basically by Republicans celebrating it and Democrats uh, criticizing it. So, James, we're a few weeks on now. Yes. Several states uh, have attempted to put in these trigger legislations and have been met by Two different uh, court success, yeah. injunctions and other ones have just sailed on through. So it is now state by state. really up yes, to well, it is now up to the states individually. Yeah, and, you know, it, it was inevitable. It, the timing was, you know, a shame for us in terms of having an initial response, but it, I think I needed a few weeks to kind of process it and see how things initially went. And um, I'm, I'm, I am surprised that any of the states that are trying to criminalize it have been met by the courts saying, hang on, slow down a little bit. Um, and hopefully they keep stumbling because it's clearly not a good thing to do to criminalize uh, healthcare access. Um We've already seen uh, a lot of people causing uh, a lot of questions to be asked about whether or not this system is going to be fair at all for women or children, uh, what counts as a human life and all that. Uh-huh. Um, but my, my, main, my main point, uh, I, I'll, I'll try, I, I've tried several tactics here to summarize. I've got a lot of points about why you cannot criminalize this. But you cannot criminalize... Um, healthcare access for people who are being who are whose rights are being impinged on whether they volunteered to have those <laughs> rights impinged on whether it was an accident one human life even if you want to argue that a fetus or a zygote or whatever is an entire human being with a conscience or with a soul or whatever you want to argue one human being's rights does not supersede another if a human being is causing distress health concerns life concerns to to another is the 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 person who is at risk is their right to try anything possible to remove that harm so while there is no viable alternate to uh, abortion when it comes to the harm that is caused to people by pregnancy then it is the only option and cannot be criminalized which is why there's like end dates which is why there's like limits to it once once the once the the fetus is viable for you know surviving out with the womb. Yeah, yeah. Abortion is no longer the answer, and it's induced birth, or it's an operation to you know get the fetus out. Um, so it just, I just, I, it melts my brain that something so simple as giving people their rights to healthcare and their rights to safe procedures when they are at risk of harm and or debilitation for life and or disability and or mental uh, 
changes and distresses and depressions uh, to to death and all of those things because some people are now having to carry uh, miscarried fetuses because they're not allowed abortions to remove a dead fetus. Yeah, it, yeah. it melts my brain that such a simple thing as just respecting someone's rights to healthcare and and autonomy to make their decision for themselves and the privacy to do so without being examined as to how much harm they think they're in and how much danger they think they're in. It's such a simple thing and people just are so keen to oppress others and harm others for the sake of their personal belief that I don't get it. Okay. If you want to personally believe that a fetus is a, is a human life and that that fetus human life is has greater rights than you as a human do and therefore you have to carry it no matter how much harm is coming your way, that is fine as a personal belief. But personal beliefs cannot drive criminalization. They cannot drive the law. They cannot drive all those things. That is up to uh, up to society to decide. Yeah, <laughs> it just hurts. This is all. This is all hurtful news. So since last month's ruling, eleven states immediately banned or restricted abortions, with another eleven moving towards that. And as I said, there are various court actions happening right now to attempt some of that from happening. But even within those states, the laws vary. So, for example, in Texas and Oklahoma, yeah, individuals can actually sue people accused of performing or helping out with abortions. And in states like Arkansas or Ohio, abortion is now only permitted to save the life of the mother. There's no exception for incest, for example, or if the baby is brain dead or non-viable, you still have to carry that fetus to full term. Or as as I was reading this morning, the case of the pregnant 10-year-old child who was raped in Ohio... Yeah, 10-year-old denied abortion. because of these rollbacks, had to travel out of state to get an abortion. And that girl's body is still that of a child and is both unprepared, but also going to be irreparably damaged by childbirth. And that, in the state that that happened, she was unable to get that procedure. It was illegal. And this is the this is a really weird line to me. And let's let's just go down the, the line here. There are people who say, yeah, abortion's okay, so long as it's like to avoid death of the mother. Why, why death? Why not like permanent harm? Why not like enough harm that it distresses them. Like, taking, opting into any procedure is a difficult enough thing that why should you get to measure how much harm is worth opting into that procedure? But then it comes to, well, abortions are okay if it's like rape or incest. Well, why? What makes the difference for you there? It, the, the fetus is still a fetus. It still has exactly the same amount of rights as a as a accidental one or an intentional one. What makes the difference? Why are we drawing these weird lines that just don't actually make sense when we can have the line that makes sense that is just give people the right to do with their body yeah. what they need to to be free from harm and to be free from distress. But like the, the like the how much harm or the or the how bad was the was the was the rape questions are disgusting because it is such a violation yeah, of yeah. privacy on top of everything else. The biggest argument for me, as I touched on when this draft was leaked in May, is that if you as a as a pro life supporter in the states truly want to have fewer abortions, then making it illegal is factually a completely ineffective way of doing that, and people believe mistakenly, that banning abortion will reduce their numbers, 
but that is incorrect. Yeah, no, they want to go back to like the early 1900s, where instead of aborting, right, right, they they just they they that went in a hospital. They just did it themselves, or they just like waited till they could give birth and then drown the baby. That's better, right? So women wait, in, wait until it's infanticide instead of aborting. Yeah, so these women in these affected states who want or need an abortion are going to continue to get them, but now they're going to be far less safe than they were previously, particularly when the majority of women getting abortions come from the most deprived areas of society and can't even afford to travel out of the state, stay overnight somewhere to a a place where they can get it. But sadly, it is now too... It's far too late, seeing as the Supreme Court have made their decision. But independent, non-partisan research from the Guttmacher Institute will tell you that to reduce abortions... You need access to comprehensive sex education, yeah. free contraceptives, universal health care for the poorest people, improved welfare funding, and that's just that's just to get started. <laughs> a whole bunch of welfare that, funding. Yeah. That is what reduces abortions. It's not making it illegal. But ultimately, that evidence is not enough for most people in that pro-life camp. They'll see that research. They'll see this independent research, yeah. which shows what the solution is for what they say they just disagree with or it. for what they want. But they would still argue that abortion is unacceptable in any circumstance and making it a criminal act and punishing those who carry them out is the priority the rather than thing, yeah. reducing the number of them. Because if they really wanted to reduce the number of abortions, then making it illegal yeah. is ineffectual. It's almost as if abolishing Roe v. Wade yeah. was about something else other than reducing abortions. And and, and that, that brings us back to the, to the initial big statement that I've made before that I'm happy to make again. If you're pro-life, you cannot be pro-criminalizing abortions. And if you're pro-criminalizing abortions, you are not pro-life. Going on from this, and if you've got more to say, then please do add it in. But here's the one other area I want to go to. It's to explore what Justice Clarence Thomas said. Oh in my his goodness, ruling. this is scary as well. Frightening, which was urging the Supreme Court and his fellow justices, and I quote him here, to reconsider its past rulings on Griswold, Lawrence, and Obergefell. Yeah. So writing in response to that opinion were the three liberal judges who wrote that no one should be confident that this majority is done with its work. Yeah. So for those of you who are unaware, those three cases of uh, Griswold, etc., relate to contraception yeah. and same-sex marriage. Yeah. And because these justices sit on the Supreme Court until they die or until they decide to retire, and four of them are in their 50s, oh. It is a, as you say, a frightening prospect that actually, yeah, there may well be more reversals of freedoms in the States. So, for example, gay marriage may be next on the block. Well, it's it's what they want to target next. I wouldn't be surprised if it took a few months. I wouldn't be surprised if they held off on it because they want to have that as the backbone of why you need to keep voting Republican forever and stuff like that. The very questionable thing for me, and I don't remember the names of these cases and stuff, is that they rely on similar structures. The reason these were brought up is because they rely on like privacy rights and stuff like that, similar to what uh, the abortion case did. But the one that didn't make the list was was interracial marriage, which relies on exactly the same logic uh, as the Supreme Court case, but somehow wasn't on his list of questionable ones uh, when it was very similar to, to the ones that he's now questioning. And it's very telling that someone who is in an interracial marriage is happy to take away uh, a different marriage that was that used to be criminal and he wants to make it criminal again. Uh, but isn't he questioning his own one? Yeah, yeah. And it's very reflective of the motivations of these people. It is harm to others so long as like I don't have to worry about it. I can't remember who said it, but there was... 
uh, it was maybe a comedian who said something like, Republicans in this country hate being told what to do, but they will happily tell you what to do. So, for example, Absolutely. you can't you can't make me wear a mask. You can't make me get a vaccine because it's my body, my choice. Yeah. But then when it comes to, to this, it's very much, no, you, you're not allowed to get an abortion. You're not allowed to get married if you're gay. And they, and they rely on this like false dichotomy of abortion and and vaccine, where if one person gets an abortion, it isn't going to like harm everyone they see for the next two weeks because they've infected them with abortion disease. Whereas if you don't get a vaccine, you get COVID, you're going to harm everyone you see for the next two weeks because you got COVID and you're going to spread it. It's just a fake. It's not even a real argument, but they they rely on it, and it's tainted. The, it's tainted the "my body, my choice" as a, a phrase to a degree that people can't use it anymore because it's been. And it's their goal is to make it a useless phrase because they've made it into this weird, twisted version of itself where it's not, when it comes to vaccines, it's not an individual body. It's everybody. Yeah, you mentioned <laughs> these rulings that may come in the next few months. The Supreme Court has now uh, gone on recess until, I believe, October. But just before they did, they also rolled back some environmental protections, uh, citing in a 6-3 ruling as you'd hey, expect, shocker. with uh, West Virginia, which is a, st- a state with uh, major coal mining industries yeah. who are arguing that uh, they should not be allowed to limit the amount of pollution uh, to shape the economy. And the, <laughs> the, the Supreme Court basically said, yep, it should be a state-based decision. So even though uh, the emissions from coal are worsening, causing worsening flooding, heat waves, droughts around the world, killing millions of people through the uh, toxins in the air, that uh, caps, these caps that had been um, instigated by actually an Obama-led administration have now been scrapped. So that now means that the ability of the government to limit the amount of harmful emissions caused by the likes of the coal industry in the States are uh, now done. It's over. Yeah. I mean, small government... Republican, small government conservative, what they mean in the UK and the US and worldwide, they mean small government when it comes to how much they interfere with corporation, how much they interfere with the wealthy people, how much they interfere with uh, their ability to to gather more wealth and take it away from the poor people. They don't mean small government in terms of giving everyone freedoms. They never do. And this is the perfect example. Stripping freedoms from individuals and then giving freedoms to corporations slash states slash corrupt people slash very rich people to just do more harm. Okay, let's go to the other side of the world and talk about what happened in Japan oh, uh, yeah. a few days ago, which was the assassination of the last prime minister Shinzo Abe, who was shot dead in the city of Nara on Friday. There has been a, a huge outpouring of grief, both uh, in Japan itself, but across the world, because by the by everything I've I've read, Abe seemed like a well, a, a stand-up kind of guy uh, who inspired respect from certainly his own people. Yeah, he and was. Opinion polls that opinion polls in Japan had found that even though they weren't overtly fond for him, yeah, fond of uh, him, they, they still kept voting for him. Yeah, there was like there was respect. He was very media friendly, but he wasn't like a good person. Right, right. In the wake of all this, they arrested a 41-year-old man who had blamed uh, Abe for his mother's bankruptcy, financial ruin. Uh, gun crime seemed seemingly very, very rare in Japan. You have to go through all sorts of regulations to get one. So this was a homemade weapon. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's that, that really did send uh, shockwaves around the world when that broke. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and... My, like, unsurprisingly, because I'm dead inside because the world's been a mess for as long as I remember, my response, was, my response to it was just, like, complete 
well, I guess that happened. Uh, and I felt completely numb to it. And I, I, I've seen, I've seen this, I've seen him as a leader of Japan for as long as I remember as well. And um, I didn't really know his policies and stuff until very recently. Um, as, and my judgment on him isn't very kind, but just because I don't like him doesn't mean he deserved to get assassinated. Um, and it is incredible. Uh, it is such a huge deal for a political leader to be assassinated. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, even if it's like slightly less rare in Japan than other places. They seem to be pretty good at executing ex-leaders or current leaders. Um, but overall, like, he the, the, he wasn't the best kind of guy. He, he wanted to hide Japanese war crimes in World War II. He was a bit nationalist. Um, pretty, pretty, like, kind, kind such hints of fascist, let's say. Okay. Just because you got hints of fascist doesn't mean you deserve to be assassinated. Uh, but if you are going to get assassinated with hints of fascist, it's it's ironic that it, it was by someone who didn't think you were fascist enough or didn't think you were authoritarian enough or didn't think you were nationalist enough. Um, but like actual huge story for sure. And uh, I, I didn't feel the shock that I expected. When I read it, I was just, my, initial, my thing was, I'd, why am I feeling shocked right now? And it's just because everything's everything's bad. And that so is of true. Of course, these things happen. Okay, one more international story before we move on, and this is the news that Turkey, Finland, and Sweden reached a last-minute agreement just before a NATO summit, which now paves the way for the two Nordic countries to join, yeah, uh, to become members. So as the Russian invasion of Ukraine rolls on, continues, yeah, we now have uh, the looks of both Finland and Sweden who are on the verge of expanding NATO even further, which this time last year was absolutely unthinkable. So that's one of the consequences of Putin's decision. There was uh, there were some issues, I believe, when this uh, was first discussed. Recep Tayyip Erdogan, the Turkish president, had some problems with uh, alleged terrorists that the Swedes yeah. were sheltering. Yeah. But that has now been resolved and it looks like there is now an agreement in place for NATO to expand north and east. Yeah, um, I'm not, I don't actually know the fundamentals of what they agreed on, what they what they changed about their stances and things. I hope they didn't d- declare any people who aren't terrorists terrorists just for the sake of joining NATO. Um, but uh, I really hope that that the leaders of Russia kind of learned their lesson here that maybe they should stop doing the whole aggression thing. And, you know, maybe, maybe they will learn that, but it doesn't look likely. Kind of things just feel like they're going to continue ticking on as usual, but I'm glad that uh, there looks like it's going to be two more border countries that are a little bit more safe from inevitable uh, unexpected invasion. Um, it, it's a pretty big step for them. And and again, it was it's a huge deal for them to do it without, you know, calling a vote or without the democratic mandate. They're just realizing as leaders that this is important enough that we got to do it, and they're doing it. Okay, James, let's move on to something lighter. And this is the news that Twitter has asked a Delaware court to force Elon Musk to buy 
their website to honour the $44 billion agreement uh, to buy that company, setting the stage for a high-stakes legal battle between the entrepreneur and the social media platform. So this uh, was filed this week on Tuesday, just a day after Musk announced that he was planning to terminate the deal. Surprise. Alleging that Twitter had (laughs) breached its agreement by not sharing enough information on bots. Isn't it weird that he actually waived any such breaches and agreements as important when he made the deal? And he said there was no way to to back out of this deal, but he's still trying to back out anyway. Isn't that weird? Isn't it like Musk is an idiot or something? Yeah, it is absolutely bizarre. Like This is a long-running saga of, what, two, maybe three months now since he announced he was going to buy it? <laughs> and it's it's bizarre that this is now where we're at. So we had a uh, $1 billion breakup fee was part of that original merger agreement. But Twitter are now saying, well, sag that. You agreed to buy us. Let's, let's make it happen legally. Yeah. So I'd expect this to be settled outside of the court and outside of, you know, public knowledge for a fee greater than one billion but lower than 40 something billion uh as a fine and that musk won't actually own twitter you know he's not gonna he can't buy it he can't afford that even if all his even if all his like funding and all of his friends and all the favors he's calling in i don't don't think he's gathering that much money um but it's just no surprise and he deserves it he deserves to be paying this big of a fine because he messed up and it was his usual attempts to manipulate things mm-hmm. uh, and it looks like it's going wrong and he's he's now trying to claim that it was in his intent all along to call it off and take them to court and somehow that's going to be a win for him but I don't believe it. No, nor do I. Okay, let's uh, move on, James. Let's talk about what we've been watching. I have a movie, a TV show, one which looks like you've watched as well and I have. we have two listener reviews as well, which is great. So I want to start with The Boys. All right. Because we've both, I believe, seen it. We have. Okay, this is the Amazon Prime show. If any of you, uh, perhaps long-time listeners, have remembered our reviews of season one, season two, we are now in season three with Carl Urban playing a Cockney Billy Butcher <laughs> whose goal is to rid the world of superheroes. And like a, a, a New Zealand Cockney. Yeah, it's a funny accent. Okay, what did you think of this, uh, this season? Uh, this season felt very well done. I uh, felt like they were setting up a lot of things, good character arcs, uh, good good uh, internal fighting, a little bit of a repetitive feel for previous seasons, um, some unnecessary storylines, but overall it felt like they'd really upped their game, that they were going to keep the show going, that it was going to be really good. And then the final episode happened, and the final episode felt like it was written by an entirely different team <laughs> in like two days, right. and it didn't make any sense. All the things they'd set up didn't resolve, none of it really mattered. Well, one or two things resolved, especially the things that they set up at the start of that episode instead of over the whole season but the things that resolved were unexpected and I, I, I just really didn't like the last episode I didn't think it worked for me at all yeah I would echo that and the, here's my main complaint if you watch the end of season two the big baddie was being set up as this uh, politician Victoria Newman yeah who yeah spoiler 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 and in season yeah, three yeah, you're yeah, expecting yeah, yeah. them to take on this politician and she's in the first episode and she does her thing and she's caught in the act and you think, okay, here we go. And then she just does nothing for the rest of the season until the very last keep her as the two minutes villain. and suddenly she's being set up as the villain for season four. And you thought, well, this is exactly what you did the last time and she wasn't in it. So I was, yeah, I was a bit miffed, I would say, yeah. by the by the arc of the final episode. And here's my other complaint. 
I appreciate with a show like this, you've got some beloved cast and, and characters, but I am reluctant for them to just do a new season and every new season there's a new bad guy and by the end of the season bad guy has been resolved in some way or other whether whether dead or or just elsewhere they didn't even do that this time <laughs> but they well they but they did they absolutely did they brought in they, didn't. they brought in so and so Jensen Ackles playing soldier boy and at the end of the season... Yeah, but they didn't really make him bad guy. They just made him guy. They made him guy who, who had a, a, some issues. And then issues. they pretended that they made him the bad guy. <laughs> right. But then by, by the end of the, the season, that's been resolved in one way or another. And now it's season four. It's been put on the ice. Right. And by season four, we're just going to have another thing. And that, to me, is just a bit repetitive. It felt like they set up all of these narratives and all of these things that could have driven such a change for the show. And then it ended exactly where it began. Yeah. Except... Homelander's arc did go somewhere. It went like a one chapter forward. Okay. Where he is now able to kill people in public and he, he doesn't feel like he has to obey people because that video has been talked about and he has done all the corruption in public and everyone still loves him. So yep. that one character arc has progressed. Everyone else I felt was just a bit stagnant. Uh, like Kimiko, I will say, she had her thing. Uh, Loose powers. Actually, I kind of liked Powers. I guess they were useful after all. I got that. That was nice. There was still one or two story arcs and character arcs I really did buy. But the final episode, the way they set up the conflict made no sense. The changes they made to the conflict made no sense. I couldn't buy it except by thinking, I guess the characters are really stupid right now. They must have inhaled some stupid gas because it was just not good. And I'm going to try and get past that and enjoy the next season anyway. Yeah, I I still feel like the opening... I I was a slog getting through those middle episodes because they were so bleak. Well, I enjoyed and that. I I I stopped really and I stopped enjoying it as much as I did because the fun had kind of gone. I liked it. And they it. did get it a little bit a little bit of it back, but everything was tied too nicely in a bow by the end of it. So yeah, I I did enjoy it, and the the satire is as thick as ever, and I do really enjoy that. The uh, parody of their political commentary is pretty good. Yeah, it, it's spot on, and the parody of the celebrities singing Imagine ended me that was yeah tremendous celebrity parodies corporate parodies uh figurehead parodies yep. that's all still very good there's still yep. a lot of good things they just wasted it all by inverting the direction of all the conflict for fun for like fundamentally not very good reasons in the final episode and that's fine and we'll move past it and it'll be great there is this one big like what well, yeah this show is not for kids or parents who who are sensitive? No. Uh, there, there's one big like orgasm episode where they tried to like go balls out and like be really degenerate, and they they really oversold it. They told they, like the start of the episode yeah. was like this episode won't be safe for anybody. All of you will regret watching it. And then it was kind of like it felt like just a B-list comedy. It felt like really not like there there was an you, there was an anus on screen. There was things on screen that you shouldn't be seeing unless you're opting into it. But it wasn't like. It just felt like be a B-list shocker movie trying to get clicks, and that was a shame. That even I think that was the other part of the okay. season that was just like that's a shame. Right before we get on to our listener reviews, just uh, twenty seconds about Top Gun Maverick, which is still out in cinemas. It is now the highest-grossing film of Tom Cruise's career. I believe it is past the billion-dollar mark. Oh, yeah, wow, worldwide. 
I'll tell you what, it's good fun. It is really good fun. It's well made. The CGI is, sure is yeah. very limited. It seems like they did an awful lot of the stuff for real. They did. And that's it, it does make you feel like you're actually on these fighter jets doing insane things. So they did. I really I really enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I did, even if it is uh, a slightly no, a much better version than the original which I reviewed last time. So I did enjoy <laughs> right, yeah. this movie. A lot more than the original. I can see why the original is so beloved, but would I yeah. ever go back and watch either of them again? No. Did it just feel like very expensive military recruitment again, or, or was there? Yes. Yeah, there's there's it, parts of is. as I'm watching, I'm thinking, I wonder how much the U.S. military gave in terms of funding for yeah. this film. That stuff. It, that stuff disgusts. It's me. the kind of stuff which you could watch that as an impressionable young teenager and be like, "Yeah, I'm going to be a fighter pilot for America, man." It's it's really transparent, yeah. but it is a fun film for if you if you want to just stick on something for a couple of hours with some popcorn, yeah, Top Gun Maverick, do it. All right, okay, let's uh, let's move on before we go any further. I want to hear from okay ML, who's going to be telling us about okay Dairy Girls. Here we go. Hello, Cecil Parade. It's ML here. Hey, ML. It's review o'clock. Here I am <sighs> to talk about Dairy Girls, um, which if you haven't seen, is just. The absolute tits. It is so, so good. It's set, obviously, in Derry, uh-huh. following four teenage girls as they... It's set in the 90s. They live their teenage lives, but in the context of real political unrest, of momentous political occasions. Okay. This show is just so very funny, but also... You know, the soundtrack is wonderful, just full of 90s bangers. The set dressing is exquisite. It'll make you so nostalgic. (laughs) It's very relatable if you've grown up in any kind of religious community, any kind of small knit community. If you have, in fact, just been a teenager in school, there's so much of this that you'll be able to laugh at. But what makes this, on top of all that, so top tier is just how profound it is. Nice. How it beautifully has the hijinks and fun and silliness of the teenage girls lives and the juxtaposition of some really grim awful realities that ordinary people lived through and faced and it really effectively highlights this by using a tool of which i assume there's probably a name for but i don't know what it is and i can't bother (laughs) googling it (laughs) but Using genuine archived footage sort of stitched into the show. So, for example, when the TV characters are watching a news report, it's an actual news report from that time. So it really, again, just hits home. This is all real. This happened. Where it does fall down a little bit for me is the third season. It just loses its way a little bit. It, some of it's just a bit boring, and there's some good old flanderization, oh. particularly with the character of Claire, who becomes, okay. you know, she was kind of anxious, stressed character in the first couple of seasons. By the third season, she's just screeching and crying all the time. So that <laughs> right. did get a bit annoying. Yes. However, all was redeemed in the finale, which was simply stunning. It took place with the girls and their families considering how they're going to vote on the Good Friday Agreement. Okay. Something that, if I'm honest, before the show, I didn't know lots about. And it not only educated you, I suppose, about the sort of history and facts and context, but it really moved you. It really got you thinking about the implications, the considerations, all the sort of wrestling that... Mm -hmm 
people, ordinary people had to do in terms of making a decision and just what a momentous and precious decision it was and how meaningful it is. It was then and it is still today. It really, I mean, I cried a lot. I still laughed a lot. It had all those wonderful ingredients. The aesthetic was gorgeous. The characters were just their best. It was really hilarious. And so it, it still had all that charm to it. But it was so compelling. And again, the use of archive footage really brought home that this all happened and real and ordinary people were so impacted by it. Yeah. So if you are somebody who enjoys a comedy with a bit of depth, then this is for you. It's an absolute gem. You should watch it. Right. And that's me done. Okay, bye. Bye. Yeah, I I would agree with certainly. I've seen the first season. I I haven't seen the second or third. But the first season is tremendous television. It's very, very funny. It's barely on my radar. Really? I thought it's been everywhere. Well, I'm not everywhere. What's it? <laughs> Who produces? It's a Channel 4 uh, show. Oh, well, that'll be why. I don't watch any... Yeah, I don't keep up with the actual TV of this country very well. Okay, well, if I'm... If I'm if, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I believe it's like half an hour episodes and maybe the first season yeah, okay. has six episodes. So very digestible. I, I can do. Genuinely, try the first season. I think you'd really enjoy very it. Very interested, yeah. I bet I will. One of my favourite characters ever in TV is in Derry Girls. It's the uh, the teacher at their school. And when you watch her, okay. if, if, you, if you've seen the show, you know exactly who I'm talking about, okay. who is uh, just sublime. So thank you, Emel, for that sh- uh, for that review. If, dear <laughs> listener, you want to send in yours, ceaseoperate at gmail.com. Yes. James, what else have you watched before we get to listener review number two? I have watched Stranger Things the most recent season, including the right, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to stop you there yeah. because I have not finished exactly. it yet. I've got one episode to go. Let's talk about it next we'll week. Call, we'll come back to that one. I also, however, in the recent weeks, watched quite a lot, but one thing that I watched that I guess is important uh, somehow is Doctor Strange in the, in the Multiverse of Madness. Oh. Which okay. sucked. <laughs> It was just bad. I don't like Marvel Marvel films in, anymore. I don't even like their TV shows anymore. They all feel exactly the same. They all feel low budget. Okay. They all feel rushed. They all feel like they needed another two months at least of production in general. And this was just that again. And the more it happens and the more I see these things, I'm like, please, why does this feel so rushed and low budget? the more annoyed I get. So I'm sure that this film is like a five or a six or maybe even a seven, but I thought it sucked because it was just all the things that I don't like about where Marvel's going and where Disney's going as a whole. Fair enough. Uh, with all the things they make condensed into a film. And I'm sure the next one will be exactly the same. Was it Thor? I'm sure that will also feel rushed and cheap and not yeah. finished. And I will hate it. It will be even worse, even if it's a decent film. I liked watching The Eternals 10 times more than I liked watching this film because... <laughs> This film tried to do so much with very little runtime to do all those things in. It, it was very lazily written. None of the characters felt like they mattered. And it all just felt like a little bit of uh, fan service in general, but not the fun kind of fan service. It's the kind that's like, fans, do you know this? Watch what we're going to do with it. That's it. And I wish I liked this film because I like the character. And I love that they get to do so much with interesting uh, VFX and CGI and they really did a good job with the VFX and the CGI it just okay. wasn't compelling yes. none of it was compelling yep. and it sucks 
and I'm so sad that we've gone from like <laughs> superhero films that were somewhat regular, maybe a little bit cheap feeling, but at least had something in there that compelled me to super regular. You have to watch one a month to keep up. They're all cheap feeling, rushed, <laughs> poorly edited and not compelling at all. Nice. Yeah. D- d- to recap what I said in my review, if you're going to watch a multiverse film this year, it's got to be everything everywhere all at once, because that is how you should have done this film. Well, the how they should have done this film was just tried. Okay. They've just stopped trying. Hang on. The new character, America, one America, horrible name, but well done. I appreciate how horrible it was. It landed. Nice. I did like, I did like that character. Okay. America Chavez. Nice. Well acted. Okay, well, let's move on. Penultimately, before we wrap up the show, this is Heartstopper, Netflix show, uh, I think, from Anthony. Thank you very much, Anthony. Here we go. Hi, Issy Sopreed. Hey. I'm back with another review, this time for the TV show and graphic novel series Heartstopper, which is a coming-of-age story about a young outed gay student at an all-boys school who falls for a dreamy but seemingly heterosexual rugby lad. Seemingly is a curious word. While Nick and Charlie are at the heart of this story, there are so many other characters in this show that represent members of the LGBTQ plus community. All right. So much thought went into the creation of this show. Alice Oseman, who wrote the original graphic novels, carefully adapted the first two graphic novels to the screen for this series, and the teams of both Netflix and Seesaw Films. <gasps> um, is that a Colin and James side side project, perhaps? No, no, sh- no, don't, don't expose <laughs> um, us. So these teams brought together so many members of the LGBTQ plus community to make the most perfect eight-episode first series. A few weeks after its release, Netflix renewed the show for two more seasons. So clearly they've done something right here. This cast is phenomenal and absolutely perfect for each role. Um, When you watch this show for yourself, you'll just be blown away by the talent of these young people. And you'll just be shocked to learn that for most of them, this is their first acting gig ever. Though I myself am a millennial and have enjoyed this series so much, this was actually created for a Gen Z audience who are coming of age right now so that they can grow up and celebrate who they are in ways that previous generations could not. That's not to say, though, that Heartstopper is a purely unrealistic fairy tale love story. Yeah. In fact, it addresses some serious issues that face LGBTQ plus youth and young people in general. And the graphic novels, well, the later graphic novels, will continue to explore more uh, deep-seated issues in the areas of mental health. All the while, though, this show treats these subjects in a positive and hope-filled perspective Uh, So as to give any viewer experiencing similar circumstances a hope that Mm -hmm. things can and will get better. As most reviews of late have been rated according to this standard, um, you certainly can watch this with your mom. Well, (laughs) I guess most moms. Um, It's completely wholesome. Additionally, Social media has shown that many young people have used this show as a platform to come out to their parents in similar ways as the characters do in the show. 
So that's that's really awesome, and it's yeah. it's really empowering. Um, it's a really empowering show for young people and not not so young people alike. Just the other day, during a debate on a trans-inclusive conversion therapy ban, oh yeah, Labour MP Luke Pollard praised this show and said that it is helping to save young queer people's lives. Mm-hmm. The characters and actors from Heartstopper serve as role models to young viewers and their actions give young LGBTQ plus people the visibility and the legitimacy that they need to thrive. Yep. So all of this to say, I invite you to watch Heartstopper. You won't regret it. Mm-hmm. But I dare you to not try to fall down the Heartstopper universe rabbit hole <laughs> because I'm pretty sure that you can't. Okay. I, it's been two months just about, and I'm still down here. Um, but I feel it's completely that. worth it. All right. Enjoy. Bye. Cheers. It's it's always the in-depth reviews. I'm thinking, you know what? If only I had the eloquence and the words to, well, yeah. to summarize how I feel about shows. That was excellent. Thank you, Anthony. It was. It was excellent. And I, I do. It makes me want to see this show. And I, and, I, and I do always want to praise yeah, yeah. media that is... Uh, genuine but also loud about the way it represents characters you could go down the disney line of just having like gay parents mentioned once and then get boycotted in china (laughs) or you could just be actually representing people properly and making them real and actually matter and if people are made uncomfortable by that they can just you know use their personal freedom to watch a different show that makes them more comfortable. Or use their personal freedom to self-examine on why representation of characters makes them feel bad instead of just feeling like, hey, those are humans too. Absolutely. Okay, one final story, and it is the Webb Space Telescope, named after you, James. Promise that that just did not work at all. (laughs) I'll try that that again. that was awful. This this is the James Webb... My name is Telescope. (laughs) James Webb Space Telescope, which has published... It's first pictures, four actual, of them. Actual images. It is uh, four pictures from the biggest, most powerful space telescope ever. And uh, I tell you what, James, it is a visual feast for the eyes. My goodness. Wow, uh, yeah. What do, you, what do you make of all this? It's 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 really cool. The part that really lands for me is when they do the overlay comparisons of the best picture we had of this <laughs> area of space before. And then you look at the best picture we have now. And it's like, whoa, <laughs> I took my glasses and I put them on. It's amazing. Uh, but the, like seeing images from all of these regions of space melt my brain it makes me feel so tiny and small and a bit probably insecure uh but that's okay because it also makes you like amazed at just how huge everything is Mm -hmm. at how the physics out there works because in some cases we're getting to see things because their light is getting distorted (laughs) we're like oh we can see that pretty well because it's getting enlarged by gravity (laughs) (laughs) it's like well what how does that work but it does and it's cool um and it's just, it's really inspiring that all of this money and effort went into a thing that is actually just functioned. Because if you think back to like the Hubble telescope, that thing didn't work until they sent up a repair crew of a whole <laughs> extra like car sized part to staple yep. onto the front of it. Whereas this just actually has worked and it's really far away and it's functioning and it, it's incredible. Yep. Do you know what blew my mind and continues to blow my mind? Right. Is uh, in this first image, they've like circled tiny little things and zoomed in to show you what it is. 
And some of these, the one I'm looking at right now, is 4.6 billion light years away. That's crazy. So the light from that galaxy started traveling 4.6 billion light years ago. Yeah, scientifically. <laughs> and, is, and is now, scientifically, and has now reached this telescope, which is yeah. absolutely insane. So, like, it hurts the brain. It, it does, so, yeah. There's just so much time. That is, a, that is a number I cannot comprehend. Nope. And it is a distance I cannot comprehend. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, if, you've, if you're yet to see these pictures, please do go and see them. And, and uh, even the ones with explainers that tell you what you're looking at are mind blowing. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a good there's a good explainer by ABC uh the Australian ABC, I think. I don't I don't remember which one I linked. It is, yeah, actually yeah, ABC.net.au, yep. They've got a good explainer. So if you Google them alongside JWS images, you'll probably land on a very good article. Again, even this one here. This galaxy, this very faint dot suggests this one is about thirteen point one billion years old. Uh, oh, how? <laughs> if you're yet to go see these images, make sure you do. But James, just before we end, we have the results of the Conservative poll. We do! And wow! out... Who's made it? ...is Suella Braverman. She is out. So... Brave Boat. Brave Boat's out. We have uh, Rushi Sunboats with 101 votes. Sunboat Penny in. Morbid with 83 votes. Morboat. In. Liz, uh, Trust Boat with 64. Trust Boat, in. Sounds like a construction equipment. Uh, Kemi Badenoch Boat with 49. And Tom Tugboat <laughs> with 32. Tugboat. So that is Rishi all and right, Penny. They're all First and second for two rounds in a row. They're going to have to do some serious Democrat Party s- stabbing Bernie in the back maneuvers to make Rishi not the winner. Yes, indeed. Okay, well, thank you uh, very much. Oh, sorry, this BBC <laughs> article has called him Rishi Sunk. Rishi Sunk has secured the most votes. Is it actually? Yeah, yeah. I'm sure they'll correct us soon. Rishi, Rishi, Rishpo Sunk. Indeed. Well, we'll wait and see if he has by the time we come back. James, thank you very much for your time. We'll see, we'll see. And thank you, dear listener, for listening, for persevering if you are still there. We appreciate you. Wow, yeah. Get in touch. At Cecil Welcome Braid on Twitter. to three weeks worth of show. Oh, I know. I hope you enjoyed it. We'll be back next next week, he says, uh, optimistically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm not doing anything for ages. I'm, in, I'm in Inverness from Wednesday until uh, Friday doing work, so... Fun times. We'll see. Maybe Saturday morning, though. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, we'll see you then. All right. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.